Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, Texas Slim here today. Uh, how are you guys doing? We had a little bit of technical difficulties getting started, but we're here now. Uh, I've got a special guest. Uh, we're kind of teaming up here on um, kind of cross-pollinating our our users and our followers, and we're uh, going to have a couple of cool discussions today. I've been kind of on the road. I went to Colorado. I haven't had a podcast in a while, but uh, here we are. Remember, we're podcasting 2.0 right now. We are um, moving forward with some decentralized sound communication. So if you guys don't know anything about podcasting 2.0, Get over to the Fountain app, download the Fountain app, and uh, kind of ask some questions. If you need help, just reach out to the Beef Initiative or me, of course, Modern T Man. But today we have special guest. Uh, I was on his podcast a little over, uh, a little under two weeks ago. And we have uh, Jack with uh, Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on today. You bet. Uh, you know, it's funny how this works in the podcasting world and then basically in Bitcoin and regenerative ag. It's like all these like different areas of uh, discussions are starting to come together. And, you know, like you and I, I mean, I, I knew of you, but, you know, we're always kind of in our tunnel, yeah. <laughs> as we say, you know, and it's like we might be talking about the same things. We might not. But a lot of our followers actually started saying, hey, you need to have Slim on. And then, you know, people was like, hey, you need to have Jack on. And so I was like, well, let's make this happen. So, you know, you and I did a podcast and I got a lot of good feedback from that podcast. They said there was a lot of value in it. And a lot of people hadn't even heard about what we're doing with the Beef Initiative. And so I appreciate you having me on and willing to come on to my podcast. You've been sure. doing this for a while. So people that don't might not know who you are, you want to kind of let us know your your journey and kind of where you are now and how you got there? Yeah. So back in 2008, I saw the financial crisis heading full bore on the U.S., that financial crisis rather than the one we're in right now. And at the time, I was a COO of a holding corporation and a president of a company within that holding corporation's basket. And uh, we did marketing and web development and things like that. And I had a client that was a financial advisor and uh, he wanted all kinds of stuff done. He wanted to do this thing called a podcast. And I knew about podcasts, but I wasn't really into it. And uh, But I bid the job and brought it back to our lead developer and said, here, build this. And he's like, I don't know how to do the podcast part. And it was as easy as basically installing a WordPress plugin. But I'm like, I'll go figure it out. So I started actually doing my show in July of 2008 in my car on my commute, which was about a 50 mile commute. And after about two weeks of doing it, I would get home and I didn't want to put a hole in the wall anymore. Like it gave me this pressure release valve from all the crap at work. Like when I would go home, I would go out in the back and water my garden or something. Cause I didn't want to be the guy I had to be at work all day with my wife and my family. That just seemed like a bad idea. And uh, 18 months later, I took the show full time. It's called the survival podcast. It's at the survivalpodcast.com or a short URL is tspc.co. And I've uh, been doing it ever since. Two time podcast of the uh, year award winner. We have about uh, 
200,000 to 250,000 downloads of our audios about within 48 hours of an episode going out. We're on all the podcasting 2.0 apps. So we cover, I call it like four pillars, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. And uh, eating right is part of that. Growing your own food is that part of that. Knowing your producer is part of that. Homesteading is part of that. Food storage is part of that. And then smart financial management. So we call it the survival podcast because I'm a marketer. And I know that if I called it the lifestyle podcast, it would not, or lifestyle design podcast, it wouldn't have been as successful. But prepping is really lifestyle design because you're designing a life that has resiliencies and redundancies in it. So when something goes wrong, because it will, and I don't just mean some big giant disaster or whatever, like something will go wrong in your life in the next 12 months. So it might be little, it might be big, but something's going to knock you off track. That's why we have things like emergency funds. That's why we invest in things like Bitcoin. That's why we, we, we fill the freezer with beef. We don't just buy a steak once a week. So that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I love it. I mean, it makes so much sense that you, you and I would cross paths just out there in the digital world, you know, because when I started the, uh, the beef initiative, I, and from the very beginning, I told everybody, I said, Hey man, this is an international lifestyle. You just don't understand yet, you know, kind of tune in and you'll start understanding what we're talking about in my, my, uh, from my viewpoint, you know, we hate to say prepper, you know, because it's yeah. all that conspiracy doomsday stuff. And I think what a lot of people are understanding that, you know, prepping is actually basically just a discipline to have a based lifestyle that's going to empower your ass during right. times, you know, demolition, times of stress, times of things not working out, something going wrong in your life, man. All it is is really just being a sovereign individual and taking those uh, steps to get there is, is the lifestyle itself. It's the road trip. You know, you know what your destination is, what's, what's, what's involved with that road trip. And, and that's why we've kind of come together and, you know, you're talking about, you know, beef and storage. Tell a little bit about what you've experienced, you know, since you first started it up until now, how it's evolved as far as prepping or survival sure. or lifestyle. So when I started this whole thing, I wanted a term to anchor on something I could build everything right. off of. And the term I came up with was modern survivalism or modern survivalist. And so I went to Google and put quotes around it and nobody was using that term in any way. Like it just didn't even show up zero results if you forced it to look for exact masters. So I'm like, that's perfect. And I think words have power and yeah, they make survivalists out to be crazy or preppers out to be crazy. And they make like, I was asked dozens of times to be on doomsday preppers. I told those guys to go through. I'm like, I'm, I, I don't sell out for a couple minutes of fame. You're not going to make me look like a, an idiot so that you can feel good about yourself. And I think words have meaning. So I've always tried to like define a word. And what does the word mean? Well, ist is a suffix that means to specialize in. Right. That's what it actually means. And survival means to continue to exist. So a survivalist is somebody who specializes in continuing to exist. I would like to believe that would be something we should teach every American. And, and that's the approach I came at with this in the beginning. And I've seen a lot of shifts in society over the years. But the number one thing that said people got hooked into it in the first place and stayed with me was my clunky just clunky ass tagline of <laughs> living, living a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't, and this was hard for me to do as a branding thing. Like my goal, when I when we ran a marketing company, if I could do it, I wanted to take your entire brand to a single word, not just a, a three word phrase. I wanted to be able to define you Sachi and Sachi, one of the, the greatest marketing minds uh, groups ever. Uh, they called it a love word and you couldn't always get there, but you tried. Then I got this big giant thing, but 
it said what it was and it did what it said. So what I've seen is the people that come in a lot of times in my audience, they come in from like, they, they start listening to Alex Jones or something like that. And the, the, everything's going to explode. And they email, did you know about it? I calm down. Let's, <laughs> let's, put your, let's put your life in order. But what I saw since we had the whole deal with the pandemic is I got a whole lot of, holy crap, Jack, you were right emails after that. And people seem a lot more receptive to the entire concept now, but they certainly seem more receptive to knowing your food producer, because when you go to the, the store and the food that was always there isn't, well, that that starts to make a point. And we've seen a lot of people get more on board with doing some of their own production and then really quickly realizing, right, you can produce a lot of food, but unless you're going to specialize as a rancher, you're probably not going to be producing beef. Right. And, yeah. and other larger animals, like a lot of people can do a few pigs, but a lot of people like that's that's out of the question. So they're doing like quail and chickens and like, well, I want to eat. A, I want to eat other stuff. Well, then you need to you need to connect with people and you need to find alternative sources, because when you have those alternative sources, like that doesn't get interfered with like that. That is something that is, that's a relationship you have. And because you have that relationship, that farmer is not burying his cow because he can't sell it which is just the, some of the dumbest craft that we saw go on there. JBL yeah. can't get in the middle. Like you have that relationship. So when something goes wrong, that farmer still has his product and it could be beef. It could be vegetables. It doesn't matter. That producer still has their product. They still have a need for revenue and you still have a need to eat. And no matter what goes wrong, that is a constant. And I've seen a lot more people gravitate toward that. And a lot more people try to decide, I want to do something. Like may, maybe not run a big he herd, but I got enough land. And, and if I raise one beef cow a year for myself, if I got enough land, it really isn't that much more work to raise four and sell three. And so I've seen yeah. that happen. And I've seen a lot more people get comfortable with the idea of treating your house like a store inventory, like not having like every week you have to replace it, you know, like actually having just a deep pantry and, and practicing things we call like we call copy canning and stuff like that. So I've seen it all get way more accepted, but right in the middle of it, which it was good for me with a big boom, like around 2012, 2013, when all those shows came out, like a lot of hysteria was launched, a lot of malicious attacks. I was getting attacked left and right from crazy trolls and stuff like that. And in the end, you just you, you kind of build a thick skin. I tell like I, a lot of people that get into podcasting, they're like, they're telling you about like the, the people attacking them. I'm like, oh, good. You, you finally did something. You finally right. got over the target. You're starting to hit targets. And that's why, like, if nobody's, nobody's complaining about what you're doing, you gotta, you gotta work harder, you know? Yeah. And that, that's a good perspective. I mean, you have some wisdom that has been built up and, you know, people's survival changes, right? They don't know yeah. what that means. Sometimes they don't, they don't know that it basically can be very simple. Sometimes it's not like a big overproduction of their life that they have to really pay attention to. What it really you do is just you evolve with the educations that's out there. And, you yeah. know, a lot of people like trolling you and everything. That's just a projection of usually fear or confusion. You know, we know that. I mean, you have to have a thick skin, especially these days on social media. But, you know, the survival mechanism that we have, you know, that that you and I kind of talk about a lot. Well, guess what? That's how our grandparents lived. That was it. That, that yeah. was their lifestyle. 
it wasn't in question. There, there weren't options here. This is what they had to do. And so they did it and they actually led very strong mentally, physically, and spiritually lives by basically following that survival mechanism. And you look at that survival mechanism and mindset now these days is basically nothing more than, hey, I need to stock my shelves with coffee cans full of stuff. And yeah. that's not that's not that's not a good mechanism or a mindset to have. My biggest thing with the beef initiative, I tell everybody, first and foremost, it's relationship building. And it's a peer to peer two party line system that basically we've lost the understanding, the value of the intentionality of it, the discipline, the obligation, the accountability that goes on with having a relationship that somebody that you trust that lives and breathes to feed you, basically. And if you can honor their intentions in life, they're going to make your life that much better. Indeed. I mean, you asked a question on Twitter. I think it was yesterday. It was either yesterday or the day before and said, have you ever examined the people that didn't just survive the Great Depression? They didn't really notice it. And it, my grandparents fit that perfectly. My grandparents, uh, the ones I was speaking of anyway from Pennsylvania, um, they were first generation Ukraine immigrants. They came in through Romania, which you go back and reach. That's pre Holodorma. That's that's turn of the century, eight, late 1800s, early 1900s. And my grandfather came up as a bootleg coal miner. That's about as that's that's tough. That's you go up on a mountain you don't own. You dig a hole in the rock and you start pulling coal out of it. And uh, he worked both legitimately and illegitimately as a coal miner. He sure. did that up until. Uh, you know, the depression hit right in the middle of that. Well, they, at least they could heat the house because they always had coal because right. you could bring coal home if you had to, right? You know, one way or another, you, you, you could at least heat the house. They hunted, they fished, and they, you know, I maintained a garden that he was growing back in the depression. When I was a little kid, I was still taking care of the same same garden spaces with about a quarter acre. And uh, he said that, you know, he in his old crusty talk, and he had pieces of coal in his arm. This dude was tough, man. And he's like, well, one day they said we had a depression, and then I went out to the war in the Navy because they made me. And then I came back and they told me the depression was over. And I didn't notice no difference before or after it. Right. And like that, that was just like because what the, everything in their life was designed around the concept of we have needs. We need to make sure the needs are met. And if the needs are met, we're good. And right. then the tightness of that community, because like the guy that lived up the street was my great uncle Pete, my grandmother's brother. And the people that lived up past them were the Devsky family. And, and though the, our families literally came over from the Ukraine at the turn of the century together from the same village. Oh, and that wow. permeated the whole little town. I mean, the town was so small, it had two roads, RD1 and RD2, right? So you hear, and it was the low road and the high road, as everybody mm -hmm. called it. And when I, I mean, I remember being, you know, like 12 years old. And at the end of the season, my grandmother would just be canning as much stuff as she could out of the garden. She's like, I'm tapping out. That's it. That's plenty. And she'd start making up bags of stuff and writing different family names on it. And I'd be carrying these things, you know, two bags at a time and giving it away to everybody in the neighborhood. Now, if you come up with that mindset, what, what, what ends up happening is, you know, 30, 40 years later, you realize, oh, I'm a prepper. And, and it's just a name that you put on it because we were all preppers. And we had like back then we had generators and we had backup heat and all, you know, why it gets cold as crap in Pennsylvania in the winter. And if the power goes out and the furnace won't run, you're going to freeze. So you don't yep. let that happen. Or if you've laid up all that food in the deep freezer in the summertime, you're starting to use it 
and you still have a lot of food in there and the power goes out, well, it's going to go bad. So you have to have a jet. And you were relying on that. I mean, literally where I grew up, I think still to this day, but definitely when I was in high school, first day of deer season, school's closed. It was, yeah. Because if you opened it, nobody would be there. Even the girls that didn't hunt, they're 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 dressed up in warm clothes, sleeping in the back of the truck. Because when yeah. daddy or brother shoots a deer, back then we only had one tag per license, right? So right. the girl's tag was going on dad's deer so dad could keep hunting and shoot another deer because those deer that we brought home, that was part of the meat that we would have for the year. And, and this is I, people are like, ah, this guy must be old as shit. I turned 50 yesterday. I'm not that old, guys. This, this, right. this version of America is the 1970s and 80s. It's not 1940, right? It was, but it was the 80s through the 90s where we lost all of this. And I think it's sad. And I, I'm doing as much as I can, not just to get people in touch with where their food comes from and be preppers and be financially responsible. I also want to bring that culture back. Like yeah. stop bubble wrapping children. Let them go out and do some dangerous shit. Like your kid's going to be 16. You're going to give them keys and let them go, get up behind a 4,000 pound machine, but you're going to insulate them from anything dangerous until that day. That doesn't make sense to me. They might want to learn how to use a knife and how to like start a fire without burning down the neighborhood. Like you might want to actually let them get introduced to some things that we think of as dangerous because human beings deal with dangerous things their whole lives. And your job as a parent, it's not to raise a child. It's to raise a young man or a young woman. That's mm-hmm. your whole job as a parent, to, to work yourself out of a job. And I feel like we're the you and I are the last generation of kids that grew up with an expectation that we would go from child to adult and not have this adolescent bullshit thing in the middle where we're half one, half the other that might go into our 30s playing Sega games or whatever they call it now down in our mom's basement. Like there was an expectation you're going to grow up and you're going to be responsible for part of your family. And if you don't do it, you're going to get your ass kicked. And I want that back from her really, really bad. Well, it's the only thing that's going to help us survive. I mean, and we, we can't generalize here. You know, everything that you, talk, you and I talk about is not for everybody. And that's fine, no. right? That's okay. You know, that everybody, they, every individual gets to make that choice up on their own. But one thing that we are missing is that, you know, look over our shoulder and see how we got here in our generation, the generation X generation. Basically, we've seen two sides of the coin that's going yeah. on right now. We know how it was. That's how we were raised. I mean, we were raised getting our asses whooped. If we didn't have discipline, then we didn't do what we were supposed to do in a way that helped the family. Damn it. You know, there was no question about it. It's just was your core belief system. And now you have the helicopter type of raising kids instead of raising adults. And it is a detriment. It's a part of the social engineering that's going on in people's mindsets. And it's not a judgment, but damn it, it is existing and it is a power move it's a reality. again. Yeah. It's, it's against- a reality. I talked about it yesterday. We, we, you didn't call it this at the time, but when I look back at it, I was the parent internet, right? The parent yeah. and grandparent internet. Well, there's no internet, right? But if you did something you weren't supposed to do and you're clear across the other side of town in the woods, you got home and they knew. <laughs> they knew what you did, when you did it, who you did it with. They knew more about what you did than you did. And you yeah. were like, well, sh- I don't think, you know, you'd be, I'm, me and Buddy be in the woods. Like, hey, no one here. They'll know. Don't do it. They'll find out. And they would. And yes. Parents were acting like we, they, they say we were the latchkey kids. 
because we we raised ourselves to a degree. But it, but it, what I think what gets missed is it was not without accountability. And I'm not saying like you never that. got away with nothing. I'm saying you had to work at it. You had to be careful. You had to cover your tracks. You had to follow the like who else knew and make sure they kept their mouth shut. <laughs> And you learn you learn discipline just from learning how to get away with stuff because you got better at it over the years, right? Like you, by the time right. you're sixteen, you were a lot better at getting away with shit than you were when you were twelve. When you're twelve, yeah. you got away with nothing. I mean, literally, like because you were dumb. But it required like your brain to develop and your concepts to develop and your thoughts to develop. And it also like it formed a lot better, I think, kind of brotherly and sisterly relationship between friends that like we keep our mouth shut about this, right? Like there was a respect for you don't divulge information that you don't need to be divulging. And, and my grandson's pretty young yet, so I talk to him about that all the time. He, he'll rat himself out. And I'm like, if you keep this up one of the days and one of your friends is going to pop you in the mouth, right? Mm-hmm. If that's what it takes for you to learn, that's what it takes. But we, you don't need to volunteer all information. And we're like, a lot of this now, you know, everything's on TikTok or whatever. And I'm not one of these people that hates tech. I love tech. I make my life with tech, but it's the consequence of using it without thinking first that I, I'm trying to rein people in on. Yeah, and that's what I tell people about tech is like, okay, the, the internet and this technology is just a tool in your tool belt. You know, it's, it's a screwdriver. Know how to use a screwdriver. It's a hammer. Know how to use a hammer. Both of those can be very effective for productivity or they can be lethal. Same with the internet, you know, and the human mind and the human spirit, especially. It's how you use that technology and how you build discipline into it. Always, you know, your mind filter, you know, how you basically engineer that use of that tool. And you're right. I love that. The the grandparent internet is like, you know, and you did. You got very good at what you were, you know, whatever shit you were causing, you know, for sure. And especially me in small town Texas, I had my license when I was 15. Yeah. I was driving a truck, a pickup truck when I was 15 years old. And you want to talk about freedom. Well, with that freedom came a very uh, immature young mind that liked adventure and getting in trouble and shit. And, you know, we used to power stall. We used to race our trucks. We used to rebuild our engines. We used to jump railroad tracks. We used to go out and do donuts in the snow, and we used to get chased by cops. That's what we did because we had dirt roads and we were good. Well, you know, we we got better at doing it as we got older, and we had that critical thinking skill, which was a life strategy. And that's something that you and I could sit here and talk about for hours upon hours, that that's part of what's missing here. And you and I see it all the time because people do tell on themselves. All you yeah. got to do is let them sit there and, and, and just basically expose. And then yeah. you don't you don't even have to really force them. They do tell on themselves. And, you know, that type of uh, trusting your friends, I don't see it anymore either. You know, and what's changed too is like you run, you said run from cops. I don't know about you, but we had cops that were peace officers. Yeah. They weren't out trying to cause trouble. I can't tell you how many times I had a cop named Jack Harley. He was the only mm-hmm. cop in the township I lived in. We had one cop. So he was the chief of himself. And like the Minersville PD, they had like a six, six cop force and they would even, they'd call him chief out of respect and all. And I can't tell you how many times that guy took a couple quarts of beer from us and didn't oh, yeah. give us an operate. He just took it. Hey, I know what he's going to do. He's going to go down there and set a speed thing. Like he's going to, he's going to drink my beer. Right. But he didn't, there was a couple different times I can think of, like I wouldn't have went to prison or nothing, but he could have took me to jail. 
Sure. And he didn't take me to jail. And it was more like, look, you need to cut this crap out because you're going to make me take you to jail and you don't want to go to jail and I don't want to take you to jail. I don't want to do this. And, you know, you're a good kid overall, so I'm going to cut you a break, but I'm not going to cut you another break this month. They're like, well, there's my one this month. I better better keep my shit <laughs> or just go do something somewhere, like not in the township, right? And, like, I think we've lost that with cops. Like, cops are out now, like, only following orders, et cetera, and that's a cultural thing. That's not the yeah. government did it. It's the entire culture moved in a very reckless direction. And so when people are looking at all this insanity now, cancel culture and you misgendered me or whatever other crazy ass nonsense, drag queen hour for the kids and drag strip events at the air force base. And this is the logical result of illogical behavior for, for 30 years. This is this, this depravity. And I am not a prude. If you want to be gay, go be gay. If you want to dress like a woman, go dress like a woman. But don't ask me to endorse your mental illness. And what yeah. we've decided is not only will people endorse me, what happens is once you get a segment of society that says we will endorse your mental illness, then that does not become enough. And now we must be forced into everybody endorsing everybody's mental illness. And then words cease to have any meaning. Right. Words cease to have any meaning. And I, I mean, when I say I'm big on definitions, I'm big on definitions. When when the whole covid thing started, they started printing money. People were like, well, we're going to have hyperinflation. I'm like, no, we're not. And so then, you know, time goes on to like we're in the middle of hyperinflation. No, we're not. Hyperinflation is 50 percent inflation compounded over a month for at least two consecutive months. So if we're going to use that word. Let's use the definition. Like, just like if we're going to use the word recession, maybe we should say it's two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. Like when we start, and you can, when you see the White House doing what it's doing with that little bug right there, yeah. it's not a surprise because why would you not change the definition of one word if you've changed the definitions of dozens of words and it worked for you? And I think like as a culture, if you want to fix this, start with language. You know, read your copy of 1984, dust that sucker off and read it again. Control of the language was a big part of control of the mind and the population. I love that point because everything that I kind of uh, talk about is, you know, sound money, sound health, and sound communications. And I grew up, you know, within project management and big tech and all that kind of stuff. And one thing that was my my weapon that was very effective was sound, clear communications. And we don't do that anymore because basically whenever you can bastardize the language in the way that we have within the, the, the pronunciations to the meanings, to the definitions, to how it's actually used, then all that does is create a level of confusion that creates a level of frustration and anxiety within the people trying to communicate. And so if you can get that basis of understanding of what we're truly talking about here, then we can have that conversation and we can actually be productive within that sound communication. And, you know, that's, just, it's a form of censorship in a way that people don't even know what they're talking about. There are two people arguing right now, but they're arguing two separate things because they don't have a clear definition. It's a generalization of meaning and basically purpose by and, and, and intent, you know, uh, talking about hyperinflation. Well, what's the intent of saying that? Well, it's to, you know, wake up, right? Or it's yeah. to you know, say something's amiss. Well, let's talk about what it truly is here. Then we can go from there. 
crippling inflation. It, it is it is is economically destroying inflation. And but let's use the right definition. And it, it places where people are sure they're completely in opposite sides. This has been done for years. If you if you get a debate going over is capitalism good or bad, you get your lefties they're flipping out about capitalism, and you your righties and they're telling you how great capitalism is. Well, what are you talking about? The person on the right or I'm an anarchist, so the person like me uh, or a person who's libertarian, uh, we're talking about a free market. We're talking about the ability of a producer that's working with your product to be or your project to be able to offer their product to another person, have free choice and have a free open market. So when we say capitalism. That's what we mean. Capitalism to specialize in capital. The people on the left. I'm going to say the informed people on the left. There's a lot of uninformed people on both sides, but the people that are trying to make an articulate argument from the left perspective, they're talking about control of the capital. They're not talking about what you and I, we're using the same word and we're fighting about it and we're using a different definition. And it's not even that one is wrong. They're actually talking about a thing that we see a really big problem with, which is why we're both big proponents of Bitcoin. The Federal Reserve being able to artificially create money out of thin air backed by not really, it's, I don't really like calling it fiat. Everybody does, so I'll do it too. It's debt backed. The money yeah. is lent into existence. It is backed by a promise to repay through the expenditure of energy and blood and sweat and toil. And it's a faucet they can open anytime they want and they can use that. So modern capitalism, if we're defining it that way, is an inherently evil system with a lot of really good people trying to do the right thing inside of it. Now, if you got that lefty and that righty, and again, I'm talking about informed, intelligent, articulate people that really want a solution instead of they just want their way, they might find they have an incredible amount in common. But we can't have that, can we? We can't have the peons figuring out that the king and the castle is stealing all the money. We got to get the pitchfoot pork people to get in a fight with the shovel people and the torch people. If we can make them all fight each other, then we can run our little kingdoms and fiefdoms from the Federal Reserve, from D.C., uh, all these oligarchs. People talk about oligarchs in Russia. We're the biggest oligarchy that's ever existed in the world. The United States of America. We have oligarchs, and you think you know who the oligarchs are. It's Elon Musk. You don't even know the names of the people. No. And I, I'm not pretending I do. I'm just telling you I can look at the invisible hand and see what it manipulates. And I'm telling you, these these mega billionaires, they have power, but it's the collective people that enable them that collectively exhibit the greatest power. That's an oligarchy. So when they say we're a republic, we are. A republic or an, an oligarchy is a type of republic, and that's that's your government in this country. We are an oligarchy, or you can do some form of anarchism. I would say what you're doing, whether you call yourself an anarchist or not, is a form of anarchism. I don't care about your system. Your system is right. irrelevant to me. I have people with a product. I have people with a need. I have a means of exchange that is Bitcoin, and I'm going to put them together, and all you can do about it is cry harder. That to me, that's that's proactive anarchy. Like I'm just going to run my own parallel system, and I don't care about yours. You are not. I'm not competing with you. I'm trying to render you irrelevant to the people that choose for you to be irrelevant, rather than I'm trying to take you away from the people. That, if, if you want that system, go ahead. Go ahead. We have a better way. We think it's your choice to join us or go stay where you're at. It's up to you. I love that because that's what I've told everybody from the very beginning is it basically, you know, you don't have to participate and you don't have to validate. 
you know, all the other, the chaos and the deception around you, the best power move you can do in your life. And basically to where you're not wanting to punch holes through the wall is basically create a new solution for people that you use. And you really research down to the bottom level, the source of the seed of that empowerment of that solution. And if you do that, then you really don't have to validate all the deception around you. You don't have to parrot all the fear porn out there. You don't have to be part of that. You can circumvent around it. And if that's if that's a form of anarchism, then hell yeah, then aren't we all? I mean, I am from Texas. And so, you know, that's what I was raised to do anyways. I was raised to do it, you know, the way that it gives you the most freedom. You know, you don't hurt nobody, nothing like that. It's not about them. It's about you and how are you going to survive? How are you going to have that level of critical thinking that you're going to be able to leverage in a way that people around you aren't doing? That's, you know, is it called a hustle? Sure. Why not? Is it called anarchism? Sure. Why not? One thing it is, is I don't want to participate in your way of doing it anymore. You have fun doing it. I don't want to do it anymore. It didn't lend me to having a the type of future that I'd like to have right now. And I think I've worked hard enough to get there, but for some reason, these dudes, this invisible oligarchy that is out there that you're right. I mean, people like Bill Gates and Elon, they are the puppets of this, of this oligarchy that nobody truly understands. And it's designed that way. When there's I started Google, pieces on the chessboard, but they're not the hand that moves the pieces around the board. No, not right. at all. Yeah. Not at it's all. It's better to be a rope than a pawn, but you're still a piece. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, is it a pawn? Is it, you know, what is it? Is it, is it, <laughs> you know, who the hell knows what they are? And that's what I don't go down too deep into because I know this as far as the research I've done is that basically the people that control, of course, the money, but the, also the people that control the seed the seed of the world, those, those, uh, those byways and highways and shipping channels and those, you know, those, uh, those, those cargo ships, everything that ships the seed around the world, the soil in which that seed takes root is the most important thing in our life right now. And a lot of people are so separated from understanding that, that that's where the trouble really lies because you can manipulate the seed in ways and then you manipulate the seed, you manipulate the people, you manipulate the people, you control the world in the way that you want to do it. And I think that's kind of a new awareness that we're doing, both of us are doing at this time is like, hey, you need to, you need to learn where your food should be coming from. We know where it comes from now. That's fine. You're diligent about that. You're responsible about feeding your family. Let's do it in a different way. Let's do it in a way where your consumer demand is actually empowering you, but it's also empowering your local community. And that's what we've lost. And that's I a think, perfect starting point. Yeah, I, I think people need to like, if you want freedom in your life, you, you're going to have to be healthy and you have to be able to think. So your first, your first commandment to yourself is, Assume that everything you've ever been told in your life is a lie. That doesn't mean that it is. Assume that it is, and then prove that it is. And in the act of trying to prove it's a lie, if you disprove it, then you know I can I can I can count on that particular thing, right? Like, so I'm not going to say that the sky's not blue or something. We're not going to get ridiculous with it, or the Earth ain't round or whatever. And I'll get triggered people in the comments now from that one, the, the flat tards or whatever. But you know, just assume that just because you were told to eat apples every day, that might not actually be good for you, right? And then start 
researching diet and nutrition and, and, and start thinking about, well, how did humans live before we had fields that were you know, managed as agricultural fields? Because agriculture is actually, it's, it's the culture of fields, right? That's to culture a field. Like if you want to talk about growing plants, that's horticulture, not agriculture. So go pre-ag and then you show me a human being that's going to live on a carbohydrate centric diet throughout their year. And you might find some rare instances in the right place with the right wild fig trees where it could be done in the tropics in a very narrow band of our, of our uh, latitude around the equator. But you're going to find that the further you go from the equator, the more you're going to have to be a carnivore. And then you might say, well, if the human being evolved as a carnivore, uh, and, and I want to be fair, because you're an om- we're an omnivore. Yes, we are an omnivore. It makes us very adaptable. It means we can survive when the food we really want isn't there. It means that we can adapt. That's why we've, you know, basically we live on every continent. We even live in in our Antarctica, right? Because we are that adaptable. But in the end, how did we evolve? We evolved primarily by clubbing stuff, by beating it up, by stabbing it with a stick, by running it off a cliff, by setting woods on fire and chasing it out, by turning over logs and eating worms, which are still fat and protein. It's not carbohydrate, right? You might get a little bit of whatever's in the gut of the worm as a carbohydrate, but that's probably fiber you can't digest. So if we grew... If we grew as a species eating this way, then maybe we need to eat this way and reclaim our health. Just as one of a, a multiple group of tenants of things we need to do to be free and to have control of our lives. And then we can actually be free of like a bigger threat to ourselves. So you're talking about the shipping lanes. And what that made me think of is we had a conversation in a panel discussion yesterday about is Taiwan going to shoot down Pelosi's plane in Star World War III? I'm like, no, no. And the reason they're not going to do it is if I'm China... And China thinks very strategically, if I decide I'm ready to go to war over Taiwan and I want to go to war with the United States, all I'm going to do is go, no penicillin for you, no tetracycline for you, no chips for you, no list of a million things. I'm just going to not ship it to you. I'm going to do a reverse sanction. I'm just going to not provide you with the material you need to keep all your diabetics alive, right, to keep all your heart patients alive, right? And I'm going to say, and when you give us Taiwan – We'll turn it back on and there'll be morons in D.C. with signs going, turn it back on, give up Taiwan. It'll happen in three and a half seconds if they choose to do that. Now, why can I think that way? Because my mind is outside of this 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 mental box of control that they've created. There's an old book by a guy named Robert Shea and a co-author, Robert Anton Wilson. And it's called the Illuminatus Trilogy. Everybody should read it. You're going to be like, it's total nonsense. It is. You should read it anyway. Every conspiracy that existed up to the time that that book was written is woven into it. Almost every sci-fi thing that was ever made was probably ripped off out of it after it was written. And it jumps around in time. But in it comes out a concept called a finord. And a finord is disinformation in plain sight. And like when people wake up in the book, they run around saying, I see the Fenors. And an example of a Fenord would be some bullshit you're supposed to believe, comma, experts say in an article. How many times have you read that? Or so say the experts. That formula is literally a Fenord because expert, what, what experts? Who? Yeah. Like five random people that we asked that we decided because they had initials after their name, they were experts. All the experts, one expert, do you have to have at least two so now we've got this claim that is presented as a concrete proof point in the headline before you even read the article that's total fabricated bullshit. Anybody can see it, but most people won't. 
And until you break free of that, and if you're eating the kind of crap that comes in a bag in a box out of the center of the grocery store, you're never going to see that because you literally can't at that point. Because you're, you're, the, the chemical processes in your mind are corrupted and you can't think because you're too worried about where's your next meal. You said it on my show, right? Like I ate about 20 minutes before I got on the air with you. I ate eggs out of my backyard, bacon, cream in the eggs, and cheese, good cheese in the eggs. And it, it, it made that – if I don't eat till 8 o'clock tonight, I don't care. Yeah. But if you're worried, like if you go 45 minutes, you start sweating – because that's what happens. You get hyperglycemic or hyperglycemic. You, you have you're, you're out of balance. Your hormones are wrong. How are you gonna How are you gonna break programming that's been drilled into your brain since you were in kindergarten or earlier? If your mind is jacked up with chemicals like that, you can't do it. And then throw some drugs on top of it. That'll do it. And then play violent video games all day long. And I don't hate video games. I'm just saying when you add it all together, you get a toxic mentality and you get a toxic uh, society. And that's where we live today. And so people hear survivalism and they think it's all about hiding in a bunker, man. It's about living your damn life. And it's mm-hmm. about taking control of all these things. And, and I have to always throw my you know public service announcement like Bob Barker from Will Force was neuter and spay your pets. Mine is get your kids out of the damn government schools because don't make them have to break free. Never put the chains on them. You get somebody that are 25 without chains on them, and you ain't never putting it. They will kill you before they will let you put chains on them. It's so true. I mean, and that's what people aren't really truly understanding, but I'm seeing a lot of people paying attention of getting their kids out of school. You know, we just had that conference in Colorado, and one of our panels was about homeschooling and home birthing and how people are really, really wanting to know how they get started in moving that pivot in that direction. You know, and you talk about, once again, survival. Really, is it that point in society to where you wanting to actually put in proof of work every day of your life is now a stigma? And, you know, we've seen this happen in society before, certain societies that fell. And whenever we get to that type of codependency upon the state in which we are today, then what you have is a basically a big confusion of consciousness that turns out usually pretty evil. And, you know, you, you talk about people paying attention to the distractions like Taiwan and China. People have no clue. We, we're in an information war already. That's what they don't understand. And if they want, it's not about bombs anymore. The bombs are a distraction. The true war that's going on is how, how about, you know, United States, 70% of the people in the United States are, de- you know, basically taking anxiety medicine. Well, you know what, China, where, where does that anxiety medicine come from? Well, it doesn't come from Wisconsin. Now, does it? It comes from overseas. It comes from probably China or one of the Koreas, or, you know, or South Korea. It comes from a place that has a shipping line that's a hell of a lot easier to turn off than coming and bombing other countries. They have so many weak points that they could hit within the individual in the United States of America, start with sugar. <laughs> yep. Start with the most, uh, you know, the most addictive drug in the world. Let's cut off sugar. Let's cut off certain things that would make somebody, when people, don't eat every four hours and they start sweating and they start doing a form of detox, you know, that's something that you should be afraid of as a, as a community, as a society, as an individual. And I think that you're right. People's brains are in a fog. They're basically, the brains are inflamed because of the processed, overly processed fake commodities 
that they put into our food to put as fillers so they can make billions of dollars on the flip side and we are ended up being the trash can whenever yep. your food consumption leads to you basically recycling corporate waste you think that you're going to have a basically sound mind you think you're going to have a sound body you think you're going to have a sound spirit no you're not going to it doesn't matter how good you're trying and how hard you're trying to fill those cupboards for your children what matters now is to understand that food now is not even the same food that was 10 years ago in one decade yeah, one decade society we've built right we built a society yeah. that solving problems is a disaster for it. yeah think about that like a lot of the problems that we have like well we need to make sure everybody can have decent housing so if we solve that problem it is a collapse of multiple industries that exist to ensure that people can't all have affordable housing. It's a disaster at an economic level for a lot of counties, just in Texas. Like when I moved here to Texas, you could build a house of just about any size you wanted, even in town or whatever. Like it wasn't a big deal. Now I was looking at some property not that long ago and it was in Johnson County, very rural, a little bit to the west of me. And I'm like, I always want to know what are the restrictions? Like no restrictions. It's unincorporated. Okay, great. Maybe I want to buy it. Well, there's one. Well, wait a minute. It's unincorporated. Only the county has jurisdiction. What kind of, like in Texas, generally, if you're unincorporated, you have to pay 500 bucks for a septic permit and they don't even make sure you do it. Then you can build and the your contractor will actually build your house for you and they go away and then never come back. So, well, yeah. no, it's not really a restriction. Wait a minute. There either is or is it? Well, the, the, the primary dwelling on the property can be no less than 2,400 square feet under roof. What? What? Well, yeah. why? Because the county wants to make sure that they don't deplete their tax rolls, their property tax rolls. Now, so this causes this problem. And what it does, though, is it forces up the values of all the small houses that already exist. Yeah. Right. So you think, you know what I would do if I became county commissioner, I would remove this. OK, well, I agree. But do you know what you've just done? You just crashed the value of all those houses that people just bought two years ago, because now I can go out and I can start. When I moved here, production building was in full swing. This is the early 90s. And there were signs everywhere, choice homes here, premier homes there, whatever. And starter homes were all 1,300, 1,250 square foot. And they were chunking them out. Well, that capped all this. But the second you lifted that, with all the people we have moving here, because we're doing better than they are, and hopefully they figure that out when they get here and don't try to make it like where they left, they're right. going to start building those production homes again. So all the counties around here did this. Now, to fix it is to destroy existing property values. And, we've, and then you just take that anywhere. You look in the food industry. You fix the food problem. You, you go in and you say, you know what? You can have processing anywhere. As long as it's not, you know, some guy's not blowing boogers on it, it's okay. You don't have to have this FDA-controlled thing. You open up small processors everywhere. Is everybody's life better? Yeah, but what happens to Purdue and all the people that work for Purdue and all the people that work for Tyson and all these, all these chicken farms now in Tennessee and Kentucky that have chicken horror houses, right, and they put all that money in that infrastructure and they're leveraged into debt. We'll collapse that. I'm okay doing it. I'm just pointing out it's going to happen. Like these guys are sitting on, it'll be the 1970s and 80s and farm aid on steroids. When we, yeah. when we, and I believe when we make that change, like sooner or later, we can do it. We can bite the bullet. We can accept it. 
But what kind of a screwed up society with central planning develops a system that the solution to the problem makes the problem worse for it? It's insanity. So they can't, like politicians, what do they care about? Getting reelected. Well, if I fix this, it's going to hurt. And even though it'll get better on the other side, I'm already fired by then. Well, I don't want that, right? The bureaucrats don't want it. I'm going to get strung up on a pole, right? So we can't even fix the problem without pain now. And you give me a problem, and I'll tell you how that pattern exists in it. No, you're right. And I think that's why a lot of people just have that form of complacency, even when they understand the, the issues out there. And they just say, well, shit, you know, I'm not willing to go through that suffering. I'm not willing to engineer my own suffering in that way. So I'll just kind of go along with what got us here. And I keep on telling people, well, I think, uh, I think it's time to engineer your own suffering before that suffering gets engineered upon you. You know, at least you can kind of front run it and you can take care of it, you know, on the individual and community size. But we are, we're going through a global industrial food shift and that's what's happening. And it happened in the seventies, but right now this is going to happen on a scale that nobody can really predict with everything that's going on right now. What we have right now is we have depleted inventories in ways of, uh, in ways that people don't know and within uh, commodities that people don't understand, with energy that people don't realize. And so once that happens, what is that? Well, that's a shift. That's a shift in many things. That's a shift in products and services. That's a shift in food. That's a shift in energy. That's a shift in agriculture. That's a shift in everything. You look at the automobile industry right now. What are they doing to the automobile? They're killing it. Here we go. We gotta, we gotta create a new type of auto system. That's where I grew up in the 70s. We had four lemons in the 70s, you know, because you couldn't get a good car in the 70s because they priced all the good ones out of the market. And then they left you with these crap things that came from overseas. And it took a decade or two to recoup that. And right now, that's where we are. If you look at every industry that basically people are dependent on, it's a shift. And that's part of a monetary reset. It's what they're orchestrating. You know, and they're having success in certain countries. Certain countries are falling. Some countries are fighting. And here in the United States, we usually catch on a little bit too late. And when we do catch on, we do kind of get momentum behind that. And that's kind of what I'm seeing in the beef initiative is like, okay, this is a this is not a big dramatic move. Let's just create our consumer demand over here in this direction. And let's let's kind of create this lifestyle that it truly is. It's an international thing that we used to do as a collective, as a people. And so it, it brings in, you know, questions, new uh, awarenesses, new forms of you're looking at the world, uh, changing your worldview in which you are kind of conditioned, like you said, since kindergarten to have. Yeah. And it's not painful. What it is, it's actually enlightening. And I think once people are willing to make that kind of that pivot, then they do see that and they see that there's people out there like you and then, you know, me kind of building this up that, man, we're doing this for a reason it's because we're, you know, we're full of uh, love and hope and, you know, we want to help people. We want people to wake up. We want people to say, we're not judging you. We're actually giving you kind of a heads up that there's something a little bit better out there right now instead of what you're focusing on. Don't focus on that crap anymore because all you're doing, you're becoming part of the issue when you parrot that shit every day. Yeah, and that's what I tell everybody all the time. Yeah, there's a book by a guy named James Howard Kunstler called Too Much Magic. 
right? And it's about how we have this belief that technology will always fix everything. So the technology that's going to fix everything that isn't even actually a problem right now is the electric car that's going to fix everything. I don't hate electric vehicles. I think there's a, there's a lot of merit to the performance level of an electric vehicle. We can build electric vehicles. We do them right. That will last longer than a, than a, than a, a combustion engine car. However, there's a problem here that no one's talking about. Right now, they're telling us in Texas to adapt our thought, drop the, raise the temperature of our thermostat because we're stressing the electrical grid with our air conditioners. Now, the average person's commute in their car is equivalent to about running four AC average AC systems yep. daily, all year long, not just in summer, including in the winter when we turn on that thing called a heater which that car is equivalent to about two times, uh, or I'm sorry, about two times the electric heat, because electric uses more than AC. So if I'm one of these people asking questions of the White House staff or whatever, and they're talking about electric cars, I'm going to just ask, what happens if 10% of Americans today went out and spent 60 grand, like Buttigieg says, buy an electric car, go home and plug it in? What happens to our grid? Well, gee, that's not a question you're supposed to ask. And the answer is, it will take the grid down. Our grid can't do that. And people that are technically astute would say, well, actually, the cars can actually help stabilize the grid. Sure, but you still have to make more energy first. You have to increase the capacity of the grid. Yes, the cars can actually be a distributed energy storage battery and we can move energy around and we can meter in and meter. Yes, we can do all that magic shit. But until you put in like 150 more power generation plants, and that's not even enough. That would be a start. We can maybe get up to 5% of the cars on the road with 150 plants. You want to start talking about building next generation thorium nuclear plants? Yes, and they're much safer, and they don't melt down. You can just shut them down if, they're, if they're, there's a problem. Yeah, we can, but you ain't doing none of that. So you're going to build a car that you don't have nothing to plug it into because, believe it or not, I don't know if you know this, electricity doesn't come from a jelly bean field. You actually <laughs> have to do something to make energy come out the other side. And, and that's, that's what people really right now – uh, it's going to slap them in the face. You know, let's let's take this on a like a global scale, right? Let's just yeah. look at what's going on <laughs> geopolitically and on a macro level <clears throat> about energy and heating your home. Well, who's going to have a big, uh, big, ugly winter coming this winter in Europe? You know, and, and people, Germany. of course, they're not understanding. What's that? Germany. Yeah, Germany. Germany's going to have a really to nasty winter, man. <laughs> well, it's going to be ugly because what they've been doing is shutting down nuclear plants, haven't been buying coal. They don't have pipelines to natural gas now. And I think I saw something the other day that Putin told Germany years ago, you better start buying some firewood. You know, it's like, you know, Siberia has got plenty of firewood. So, you know, you guys don't have enough forests to keep, to heat your homes. And I, I can't remember neutral, when he said that. Be a neutral zone here. highway from 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 Russia all the way to Germany and giant Ute trucks carrying coal will yeah. be on that that like peace peace highway or something they'll call it and uh, you know and it, well that'll never happen so we didn't sell as tons of grain to the Soviet Union in the 70s of course it will of course mm -hmm. you'll always have commerce between nations when it's in their best interest to do it and I bet you Germany's going to be like or Russia's going to be like oh you want some coal yeah we, we take rubles 
Yep. You're going to use our currency, boys. You know, I mean, this is not hard to see. None of this is hard to see. I've had people abuse. How do you know all this stuff? Because I don't listen to the people that tell you what's going to happen because they're like, don't you stop listening to a person once they've been wrong a certain number of times? That's interesting. I'm glad you have that opinion, but I think I'm going to get my information elsewhere. Like if you take investment advice from Jim Cramer, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if I was going to be a fund manager, I would just create a fund. I would call it the reverse Cramer fund. Right. And whatever he said, I would just do exactly the opposite. Right. And so like everybody's Jim Cramer. People mock him and it's easy to do, but everybody you see on TV, you see from the chest up with a suit on or an anchor woman haircut is just another version of Jim Cramer. They don't know anything. They don't think for themselves. That's not their job. They're told what to say. And every single person that comes out of that world and goes into independent journalism or podcasting tells you the same story. Maybe you should believe them instead of the people that are on the box you grew up with as one of your co-parents. <laughs> it's so true. You know, bringing up Kramer, okay, perspective here. Yeah. And there's a clip out there. It is like a day before the housing crisis really hit, right? Hit the mainstream. This dude was telling people that real estate was the best bet you could go into right now. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it just never stops. His, yeah, his Bear Stearns. Oh, that's silly. Bear Stearns is fine. And the next day they're bank- literally bankrupt the next day. If somebody points that out on his Twitter, he immediately blocks their account. Hey, Kramer, how's how's Bear Stearns? This is like, you know, what is it, 14 years ago now or something? Like, hey, how's Bear Stearns doing? It's like, this account has blocked you. So clearly it's a source. out there right now, do that. Because you don't (laughs) want to have him in your life anyways. We're going to do that. (laughs) Talking about energy, though, and talking about leveraging energy and how we're not doing a good job of it, talking about Bitcoin, talking about mining, talking about leveraging blow-off gas. There's so many solutions that are starting to present themselves. And right now, I mean, you and I are going deep into this Bitcoin rabbit hole, of course. Yep. You know, we're, we're on podcasting 2.0. We're learning how to stream sats. You know, we're, we're getting value for value exchange. That's kind of, you know, what's going on in podcasting. It's going to take some time. I mean, you've seen it as far as monetization of co- content. Well, monetization of content is going to change because of Bitcoin. Well, guess what? Energy is going to change because of Bitcoin. Yes. And that's where we are. We're at that very beginning adoption of understanding and awareness. And that's why, you know, it's very promising. I mean, I had ranchers at the Colorado conference and we had a mining panel there. Yeah. And these ranchers really didn't understand mining. You know, you plug in a computer, it takes a lot of electricity, yeah. you know, before we introduce, you know, how many ranchers in the state of Texas have blow off wells on their land? Think Almost about all that. All of them, right? Right. Exactly. Almost all of them. And, and I mean, you look at some, some gas companies, that they're given the flare gas for free. Instead yeah. of buying their own, because what happens when a dude buys three Connexes, two of them are full of ant miners, and one of them's got a giant generator in it, and it's worth about $20 million, and they drop it off at a, a, a gas well and put up a fence around it. They hire a dude called a security guard to make sure nobody jacks with it. So the, 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 the gas exploration company is getting free security of something that there was a problem before. So some of yeah. them are running their own. Some of them are 
selling the, the energy really cheap. Some of them are making basically barter agreements depending on, you know, how high quality of a, a thing is it? How much do I actually get out of it? And, you know, these miners are helping stabilize our grid too because it'd be great if like Amazon Web Services could come in and say, we'll take all your surplus energy because people don't get this. The power generation locations have to make way more power than they can move and sell. They have to make more. It's called peaking. They have to make peakers. And that way, when there's a peak demand, they have it in surplus. And we can only store, store so much in a battery. And electricity actually degrades over distance. We have attenuation and impedance and all these things that these people that talk shit know nothing about. They don't know how to put a, a nine volt battery into a radio, and they're telling you about you know modern electricity. Uh, you you got to make way more than you need, and you can't sell it, so it's stranded. It's excess capacity. It's lost. Well, if we can take and we can co-low mining facilities there, buy that energy on the cheap, that works great. And you would think any data center could do that. Well, they can't because if I'm paying some data center to host my web server that I pay nine hundred dollars a month for and they shut it down for a week, I'm kind of pissed off, right? My whole business is down. But if you're running a mining facility, you can literally within seconds go, oh, you're at peak demand, click. And you have no cost because your main cost is the energy itself. And as soon as they say peak demand's over, click, and they can shut down entire data centers, thousands of miners. They can shut them down in less than a minute and they could have them up and running again in less than a minute. And you can't do that with anything else I know of. So this becomes the solution to the power generation dilemma where there's all these places we could generate all this clean energy, but it's so far out that it's not profitable to do so. If we can monetize the surplus, then we can make the project worthy of being done. And I'm not one of these people that spouts bullshit. It takes 20 years for a windmill to pay back its energy. The energy audit on that, depending on what machine you're talking about, is six months to two years. That that calculus works, but it doesn't work if I can't sell the electricity. If I can't move the electricity or somebody will buy it. Well, that right there, they, people don't understand that, is like the locality of that electricity matters. You know, and whenever you're mining Bitcoin, oh my gosh, you can, you can do, uh, you can generate electricity off of wasted energy and then you can actually be mining your Bitcoin in a way that you're not having to transfer the surplus energy anywhere. All you're doing is you're creating a circular wheel of energy that is monetizing itself. And then, you know, we've, we but just there when, you, when you have to redirect it, it's instant. Exactly. It's not instant, but it's within about a minute or two. You can yeah. make that, that load available to go off site. And there's nothing else that'll do it. And what it's going to lead to, I believe personally, is entire new small, like new small town America, new small town world, right? Because like the Bitcoin stuff they're doing in El Salvador, that may or may not work, but that the concept will work. The concept of there's this great source of energy here, but there's only a few hundred people that live here. So we can't afford to put in an electrical generation system of any scale. But now we can. So once you have abundant, cheap power, then the commerce and the people come to the abundant, cheap power. So how do I get people to come into this place and settle this place? You give them opportunity. Why did people come to America? Because you could own your own damn piece of land, right? You didn't have to be a serf anymore. And you could defend it and you could make something out of it. And you got to keep what you got from it. So people came here to it because of an incentive, 
Today's incentives are different. People don't have the gumption, I don't think, anymore to carve 80 acres out of the woods with an axe. Like, I want to see somebody do that shit today. It doesn't happen much anymore. Think about think about what it took, dude, right? For a dude to be like, I'm going to pack all my shit up, and I'm going to head west. I'm going to yeah. claim my free 40 acres, 80 acres, whatever it was. I'm going to look at woods, and I'm going to take my double-sided axe. I'm going to build a house, and I'm going to clear it. I'm going to make myself a farm. You yeah. go clear 100 by 100 feet with a chainsaw, and, the, and when you're done with that, and you're patching your scratches and scrapes, and you're breathing hard, the respect you will have for your great-great-grandparents will be this much higher than wherever it already was. You, it will, it will. I know the first time I ever cleared, like my, my uncle and I, we cleared a, a stripping bank behind our old homestead, and, I, and he said something about, you know, he said, you, you know, your grandfather used to clear this thing with a two-man cross-cut saw and, and an axe. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, God. Man, that old man's tougher than I'll ever be. You know, we've lost all that, dude. And we don't have to, though. I, and I think crazy enough, no. Bitcoin takes us back to it because now we have that spirit of exploration again, and mm-hmm. the value for value that we're doing with podcasting—it's just a—it's a way for people to see it work and participate it and get onboarded. I don't know about you, I was set up to do it long before Fountain really caught on, and I didn't know anything about Fountain. People were using Breeze and whatever. Right. You kind of had to be a little bit tech savvy. To be on the on on the on the consuming end and giving value to the the podcaster, and sure. I'm okay with it. When Fountain took off, and I'm like, oh, this is easy. This works like iTunes, except they get paid and I get paid, and it's really easy. And I started pushing people toward it. The amount of V for V income I got went up by like eightfold in the first two weeks that I started pushing people to Fountain because it, they, it wasn't they didn't want to. It's they didn't know how. Yeah, and so 100%. Now, now take that app because we did. I had Guy Swan and uh, uh, Brian Harrington on yesterday. We did a panel on this for like two hours. Take that and look at every app on your phone, and think how can I monetize this? Think about having a situation eventually, Slim, where in your beef initiative, the rancher and the processor both get paid simultaneously with a split, just like we could do on Fountain. Exactly. That's exactly where this is going. It's yeah. just and even if the customer pays fiat, it doesn't matter. It yeah. still it still uses like kind of like the strike like technology. Bitcoin is a transfer rails, the payment rails. And then think about the disintermediation there. So right now, if you got the processor and you got the producer and then you got a, somebody that handles shipping and you got a customer, there's a lot of money moving and splitting and somebody's making a report about what they owe somebody else. But now the processor and the producer just start there. Usually one of them would be paying the other, right? Yeah. Or there's some complex way that it's transferred over and then the customers, it's complicated. Boom. They don't have to know each other. They don't have to touch no. each other. Well, does he work for you? I don't know. How's he get paid? I don't know. I don't know. I All I know is the cow left. And this is my money that I'm paying taxes on minus my expenses. And gee, I don't have any, I don't have any profit this year because Owning land and ranching, when you do it right, is you always lose money on paper, or at least you get as close as you can to it. So here's your five bucks and go away. And what about him? I don't know. You're going to have to talk to him. There's no connection. There's no paper connection anymore. Now do that to everything. Yeah. Do that to everything. And that's the world we're going to. And it's not 20 years, it's three to five. Every app on your phone is going to be monetized or gone. 
Like yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be like, why do I need Waze? I'm gonna use ratthecopsout.io, right? Like where like Waze. If you've ever used the Waze app, like you're hauling ass down the highway and you see like flashing lights come up on it, and there's a cop down there. Somebody ratted them out, so you slow down. Yeah. Now take that app. You see that it's like fountain, and you go, dude, thanks, boom, and you send that dude a thousand sats for ratting out the cops. Now, how much better does that app work now? What's the network effect of that? When it happens to your weather app, if somebody reports weather, inbound weather, and saves your ass because you took cover, what's the value of that? And now the app provider is not having to collect your data anymore because they've actually put real value in it. So they don't need your data to sell off to whoever the hell is going to buy it, like your government. They can actually make money by providing an actual valid service. That's freaking crazy. But that's yeah. and it is the future and you see that coming from marketing and you see and you understand how they manipulate that data in yeah. every every way and that's what is so beautiful about this is you you create that peer-to-peer you know instant basically exchange of quality and value and, and that's where we are people are saying well hell yeah i'm only going to listen to this podcast because they're on the fountain app I've already, you know, people are telling me that right now is like, I don't care about all that other content. I don't, I'm not going to participate. You know, these are the first shakers, the first doers, as far as on the consumer side of things, they're, they're designing their life around that value for value exchange. And that's, that's something we're pushing extremely hard in the beef initiative. It's what we're going to do actually in Georgia at white Oak pastures for our next uh, conference that we're having in September and it, that's going to be kind of the lead story behind it is value for value. This is an international lifestyle, you know, and here in the beef initiative, it starts with food intelligence. And so we're, we're going to push hard. We're going to pioneer really big into that. Um, before we get to Georgia, though, I'm coming to Fort Worth next week. You're coming, right? Yeah, we'll be there. Well, we're going to uh... – Pogue Mahone's Irish Pub, I think is what it's called. Yeah, Pogue Mahone's Irish Pub in Fort Worth on the 9th. And yeah. I believe, I don't know the time, what is it, five, six, something like that? Uh, I think they usually do them at six. I went to my first one with that group last month. It's a really good group of guys. We had a good time. We went to a – last month we went to a really weird kind of cool bar. It was called mm-hmm. Thompson's Bookstore, and it's like a speakeasy theme place. Like you literally would walk by it. I just think it's like a rundown closed bookstore and you go in and it's a very badass bar. So they have a track really? record from what I've seen of picking up, picking some cool places. So it'll probably be a cool place. And I know a lot of the guys on the telegram chat for that group, they're real excited that you're coming. That's going to be cool. I mean, they reached out from a couple of months ago and I didn't know where I was going to be. I said, well, hell yeah, I'll show up. Let's do it. You know, it's in Fort Worth because I haven't gone, I haven't been able to get out there. I need to get You've out been there. everywhere except right here. <laughs> yeah, I really, I have. And, and after, after Georgia, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get to Georgia. I think I'm going to go ahead and drive again, man. Cause yeah. I just came back from the South. I don't want to fly. Uh, but I What's that? Flying sucks. The one thing I'd suggest, though, like depending on where you'd fly out of, there's an airline called JSX, and it's like semi-private jets. And, like, you go to the airport, but you go to the hangar, and they're like 19 passenger planes, and it's all, like, first-class seats. And it's like round trip to most destinations out of Love Field is, like, 230 to 250 bucks. Really? And you could show up 15 minutes before the plane takes off. JSX? JSX, yeah. And they just they won't add the destinations that I want to go to. It's like, or they'll add it, but I can't get a connection to it. But like 
as they build out, like I'm going to, if they're going to do that, I'm only going to fly them. I mean, well, hell yeah. I mean, we need to get an airline Bitcoin. Yeah, we yeah. need to get a Bitcoin airline going on Bitcoin here. Bitcoin Air, I mean, buddy. We on. need it. Satoshi, Satoshi Jets services or something, you know, like. <laughs> And the pilot gets paid as the plane flies, you know, like she gets, he gets sat screamed to him. And when you land the plane, you get your final paycheck because you didn't crash it. Like, and yeah, I, I say that as a joke, but only partially like that is the new value model is going to be like, if you're really worth what you say you're worth, then you'll earn it. You'll yeah. earn it because it'll be recognized. And if you don't, that's what we are. maybe, maybe all those degrees or whatever aren't as important as you thought they were. Like, well, we didn't even talk about education yet. Out that way. Could you What's imagine, that? like, the education system on streaming sats? No oh, more $40,000 loans per per year to yeah. go listen to somebody drone on about you being privileged, but you actually were able to just consume your instruction and you pay what you think the instruction is worth. And what everybody's going to do is they're going to get their – English education from the best English teachers in the world and all the other ones that just hold down a desk are going to get ignored. They're going to get their history from the best history teachers in the world. And since we can make it all basically public, the people will know this guy must be good, not because he's rated highly, but because people are paying him better. And it's not somebody paying him a salary that gave him an interview who went to school with him 20 years ago and, and, and rigged it so he could sell textbooks. It's the people actually getting the education are deciding themselves. There is nowhere this doesn't go. And it's going to no. happen incredibly quickly. It's going to be incredibly fast. And it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but it does mean the disintermediation, the disruption that's about to happen is going to be, it's going to be a bloodletting and it's going to be mm-hmm. a beautiful bloodletting. It doesn't mean it won't hurt, but it's going to be beautiful. Well, and that's why, you know, we talk about survival mentality and just that being your lifestyle, you know, instead of a convenience lifestyle, it's a survival lifestyle. And if you know anything about survival, if you know anything about outdoors, you know anything about farm tough, you know anything about, you know, using the axe, anything like that, this shit's easy. It is. And it's not difficult. You know, and for people out there that haven't had that lifestyle before, that type of proof of work, man, it's just acceptance is the key right now. It's like, hey, I'm going to take a shift here. I'm going to take a pivot and I'm going to kind of look at this and start paying attention. My consumption model is going to change from my audio to my video to to my food. It's 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 pretty basic. And when you said it's going to happen, it's going to happen fast. You're damn right it's going to. It's just, you know, getting there is where we are. Uh, we're going to basically steward this. We're going to pioneer through it. And, you know, we're going to iterate. We're going to do things. We're going to experiment. And we're going to meet and we're going to form a lot of kick-ass communities. You know, you doing this since 2008, 2009, right around that window of time, you think about right now when we get into that model of that value-for-value in the type of people and characters that you're going to meet, it hadn't yeah. even started yet. And this is what yeah. I'm seeing in my life. The type of people I'm meeting these days, the t- type of people that are basically I'm building relationships with are the most sound, the most freaking honest, trustworthy, base people I've ever known in my lifetime. And that's a half a century here, and, and you're the same. And that says something. It truly says something about where we are. Yeah, all that bullshit's going on out there. But guess what? I got something. My wealth is 
over here and it's in a totally different way that I didn't see coming, you but I'm going to break. And you can't yeah. have it and you can't take it and you can't seize it. You can even know how much it is and you still can't have it. There's yep. nothing you can do. It's information that I don't remember. I can't give it to you. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, and sorry. We've never had this form of wealth that is this defendable by an individual in the history of man. No, it's we have doing something that is a bigger gift than all of the individual tech put together. It is restoring hope to people's hearts and minds. It is bringing back the concept of seven generational thinking. It is making old men plant trees under whose shade they will never sit. And, it, and that is a metaphor and it is a true thing. So men are planting the trees and they're planting the metaphorical trees at the same time. We have young people who are thinking about the future in a positive light for the first time in their lives. And I say young people in their 20s and early 30s that never did before because they were taught by this educational monstrosity that their future was doomed. And in some ways it was true because of the fiat economic system that they were in. They were realizing that their parents had less than their grandparents. So it was only reasonable they'd have less than their parents. That's, that's what people were coming up in. And when they saw something, and it's not all of them, it only takes the two or 3% to understand a thing for it to get a critical mass and go over to the point where it can't be stopped. And they start thinking about, well, if I save for my future, I'll have wealth. But if I say for my future, right, my children will have what's left of my wealth and their children and their children and so on. And what I said is, you know, there was somewhere in my past, there was a great grandfather. You know, I'm talking great, 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 four or five generations back. Love me without even know who I would, would be. Was thinking about my generation, knowing he'd never even see any of the, the people in my generation or my parents' generation born. And we lost that. They stole that. They stole yeah. that between the time you and I were kids, we was still there, and the people that were just a little bit younger than us, they took it from them, and we're giving it back. I talk about legacy all the damn time, and some people don't even know what legacy means, and it is yep. that man planting that tree, knowing that he will never sit his ass on the ground and enjoy that shade. And I tell people all the time, you will never receive unless you give first. And that's what these young people are understanding is like, hey, I don't have to have the religion of self in which I've been conditioned to basically focus on. What I can do is I can I can go ahead and give out because I know it's going to come back with me because I'm surrounding by some like minded people that are thinking like me and we're not being dictated to. We're actually doing a collaboration that is happening naturally. And if people can grasp that, that this is going on and you don't have to ask for permission, man, yeah. <laughs> it's right in front of you. You know, all you got to do is pay attention and be intentional, be open for education and be open to establish relationships that just aren't through a damn device. That it's actually about shaking somebody's hand and looking them in the eyes and saying, hey, would you teach me? I want to know yeah. more about what you do. Then that's a power move right now. And not too many people are going to do it. Less than three percent of the population is going to do that. That's all it takes. But that's our responsibility. That's our obligation right now. The way we change that is we understand that the most macro level, there's really two types of people in the world. Just really, two, I'm assuming that your basic needs are met. So I'm not including somebody in the third world in this that's that's worried about right. if they're going to eat today or not. Right. But once your basic needs are met. And so anybody in the United States, the poorest person in the United States, their basic needs, needs are wet, met way better than your grandparents were. Um, there are people that they'll see somebody that has something they'd like to have someday. 
a really nice car, a beautiful house, a piece of land, whatever it is. And one group will say, must be nice, or some version thereof. And the other group will say, good for them. Good for them. I'm glad they were able to do that for themselves. When we make the number of people that take the second option larger, we win. That's the shift. That's the macro shift. When people start stop being covetous, and I'm not a religious man, but I believe in truth. When they stop being covetous of, of, of what others have, and start realizing I can have anything I want if I have the right work ethic and if I help enough other people along the way, I'll get what I want. And moving into this value-for-value value world that is so much bigger than podcasting is mm-hmm. a fulfillment of uh, – there's many writers. I always mention Redfield, though, because he's the guy I heard it from first. James Redfield wrote a book, kind of new-agey type thing back in the early 90s called Celestine Prophecy. And one of the prophecies in it is that we would move into a tipping economy, that when people were given value by another person, they would exchange money. But before the Internet lightning Bitcoin, this was I didn't understand how it would ever happen. I like the idea. But if I was walking down the street and I saw you and you live in a town your whole life, Tex, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm looking for Bob's Burgers. And you're like, oh, it's just down the road and around the corner. And I'm like, thanks, man. Here's a buck. You're going to be like, I don't I don't want your money. It's a very uncomfortable thing, but if I'm if I'm trying to find a place and the nav app's not working, and you chime in and say, "Oh, they moved it" or whatever, and I go, "Dude, thanks. Here's five thousand sats." You're like, "Cool." I'm like, "Cool." Everybody's happy. Yeah. Well, if we can get into a world where people actually start to see value in others, in their willingness to help each other, and the, 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 the we are the most generous beings in the universe we know of. We're not selfish. We've been made selfish through false construct and false control. We have been put into a place of artificial scarcity. And and, and this is the reality. You can have scarce money and abundant everything else, or you can have abundant money and scarce everything else. So you move down to a place where we have scarce money and we can have abundance in everything, and the solution to all conflict is abundance. Every single conflict can be solved through abundance because people don't fight over shit. When it's abundant, there was a time in history that men went to war with swords and spears, hand on hand, metal to flesh conflict and spilled the blood of fellow men for the control of freaking salt. Yeah, for salt. Men would kill other men for salt. When's the last time you saw a war over salt? Why? Because you have all the salt you could possibly want. That's why you create abundance of energy. You don't fight over energy. You create abundance of food. You don't fight over food. You can create abundance of freedom. You don't fight over freedom. If you want to live in some kind of communist hellhole and you like it, you should be able to go do that. Just leave me alone. Abundance yeah. of all. And we only do that with scarcity of money. It's It sounds too simple, but... You know, it says all the world's problems can be solved in a garden and people think it's airy fairy. They don't get the point. No, they the don't. Abundance is the solution. The abundance is the like that's what causes it. The abundance mentality, the understanding that everything we need can be created anywhere in the world. We have the ability to do it. There's no reason to fight over it. But that's not a good way to control people. So. My last, like, like, you know, phrase of the day or whatever is sovereignty cannot be granted. Because if someone no. grants you sovereignty, that means they can take it back. Sovereignty has to be claimed. And all the things we're talking about, 
Bitcoin, value for value, growing your own food, having your own relationships. This is a statement. You will not control me. I will be sovereign over my life. And I don't care. I don't even care about your opinion about it. Your opinion is you have to pay me to listen to your opinion. That's a value for value for what if I don't like your opinion, you want me to consider it like uh, what's his name? Curry. Adam Curry does with his troll army. Right. If you want to be a troll, you have to pay him and then he'll he'll pay attention to your troll comment. Right. You want to live in my head. You got to pay rent. That's all. And you either have or you don't. And it's up to you if you want to do it or not. Well, I think that's the tipping point that we're at, of course, that, you know, you're going to you're going to basically end up. And I always tell people, you know, Bitcoin exposes the truth. You, you, you either you, you like it or not, it does. And if you can accept that, then you understand that, you know, it's it's part of a counterpunch, you know, to what's going on right now. Of course, it's a, it is a tool. But the true counterpunch is the human spirit that is basically searching for that truth. And that's what we're doing. And that's it. It's that simple. I tell you, it's so simple, it's complicated. You don't have to get stuck in an analysis paralysis where you can't figure this shit out. It's as basically as easy as starting with the basically pragmatic first principles way of thinking about how to find out the truth of what's going on in your own life and on the on the bigger scale to where you can actually understand what's valuable for you. A lot of people don't even know why they desire what they desire. And, you know, that's been done with chemicals. That's been done with, you know, fiat thinking, yep. all kinds of different ways of manipulation. And I say, hey, take a step back. During COVID, I said, you don't even know what you're afraid of. You don't have a clue what you're afraid of. Our dude, if you th- listen to Stephen King talk about how he made people afraid, he didn't describe the monster. He let you form the monster in your own brain. He said the the key to my ability to put terror in the heart of my reader is when you were a child, you were afraid of the thing under the bed that you couldn't define. And I put you in touch with that fear. So we have an ancestral memory of disease wiping out a third or more of our population. We have that memory. You take a society you want to control, you put them in touch with that ancestral phantom and you let them define it for themselves and they'll do anything you ask them to do. And if you doubt me, just look what happened. It's what they did. They were running around covering themselves with masks. Some of them had six foot poles around their head. Like none of this made any sense, but it did make sense. If you understand the power of creating a primal fear in a person, and letting them define how bad it is for themselves, because they'll always, Everything you ever were afraid of in your life that you eventually confronted was never as bad as it was in your head before you did it. Don't think that will ever, ever change. It will never change. And so whenever you have a fear of an unknown, it is your obligation to yourself to uncover the unknown portion for yourself, not to let somebody else do it for you, because then you'll never have truth and you'll always be afraid. And if you are Mm -hmm. always afraid and you're always full of cortisol, you'll never be healthy. And you'll, you'll never control your own life. Whoever pulls on that little tiny thread of fear in you will be able to move you in any direction they want. Marcus Aurelius said that the, 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 it was about the crowds, and he said that you could move the agitation of the crowd with a simple wave of your hand until it had a marvelous resemblance to the sea. Right? This, is, this is 
2000 years ago plus, right? Like, so this is yeah. not new technology. We get the wrong idea of what te- the ability to control a mind is a technology. The Sith in the Star Wars, it's not really a force. It's an understanding of the mind. If I can understand yeah. your mind, I can move you as much as I could Darth Vader you and, and push you against a wall, right? Like this is the way of control. And it only works if you give your permission. You have to agree to it for it to work on you. You just don't know you've done it. And I tell people all the time, I say, quit validating the fear. I mean, because fear yeah. is a lie. And, and that's power. what people don't understand. They don't really, to the core, understand that fear is a lie. You can't have a lie and truth. And so if you can't have a lie, which is fear, then you eliminate, you don't validate what causes those fears. And if you can do that, you're going to go, oh, I see. And we have to do it every day. I mean, a lot of decisions are made on fear. You know, sometimes it's good fear. But now these days, it's part of the information warfare that we're fighting because that psychological trick they're doing is based on fabricated fear. And they're letting you be the engineer of how bad that fear is because all they got to do is plant that seed. And, yep. and once yep. you can understand that as the individual, then you go, okay, <laughs> I don't have to be so afraid here. I, I got no. a hell of imagination with fear. Why don't I have the same imagination over here, some strength and some truth? And that's so, whenever you can change. So I, I need to wrap up with you pretty quick here. I got an, yep. another show to do here in just a bit. Yeah, let me give you my kind of final thought on this because it's important to understand yeah. so you can control yourself is that – you do need to understand that the thing that doesn't exist can hurt you. So if you think about the most fundamental thing that doesn't exist is darkness. Darkness is not a thing. It's just the absence of light. doesn't mean darkness can't hurt you. You walk into a room, you turn on a light switch, the, the darkness is banished. It's gone because it was never there. But you walk into that room in the darkness and you can hurt yourself on something in that room because you don't see it. So even the thing that doesn't exist can hurt you if you let it control you, if you don't shine a light of knowledge onto it. So don't simply write off these things, inform yourself so that you actually know, okay, there is a piece of this that could be a problem. Because even if it's like the whole COVID thing, like, yeah, you're not going to die from COVID, man. If you're going to die from COVID, you're going to die of something else. I mean, that's the way I look at it, right? Like something else was going to happen to you anyway. But it's really important that you understand the fear, even though it's not real, because it is real to all those other people, and all those other people are freaking dangerous, right? All those COVID parents are freaking dangerous. The, the way the state responded to this is dangerous. You need to know that it's dangerous so you can deal with and avoid the actual danger. You look at a disaster, we study those deeply with what we do, and so the, the, the earthquake in Haiti is not the big problem. It only killed a couple hundred people, and then it stopped. The aftermath and the way people responded to the aftermath was where the most people died. The most people that died in Hurricane Katrina when everything went to hell in New Orleans was after the hurricane was gone. It was the disease, the pestilence, the robbery, the theft, the rape, the beatings, the way the state responded and disarmed people. Don't think just because something's not real, it can't be harmful. It is if you don't understand the effect that it has on people that believe in the phantom. 100%. 100%. So well put. And whenever you say all that, and being in my position, think about it whenever people get scared about gas or food, what do they do? They become the danger. Yep. It's not It's not anything else. It's not the scarcity of that. It's how people react to that fear. And so keeping that in perspective, not validating that it's going to change you or affect you, but knowing it's there, 
that yep. you can actually have strategy around it is the most important thing. That That's the cognitive and criti- critical thinking I think that we need. I mean, so, they did dumb shit, right? Did you see how many people ran out and bought dry beans when COVID started? And yeah. ask that person how to cook dry beans. They don't know. They never cooked a dry beans. The last thing they cooked, they put in a microwave. And the thing they cooked, the first thing they cooked, they put in a microwave. They've never even used a pot. They don't even know right. what a pot is. They don't know that you have to soak it in water. But like, oh, that's what the preppers buy. So I'm going to go buy me some dry beans. I have people emailing me, Jack, I'm trying to get more grain. I can't find any grain. Honeyville's sold out. I'm like, just try the you try the brew store, the brewery store, you know, like yeah. the, so the home brew supplies, they, they'll send you a 50-pound sack of grain because no one's looking. Did you go to the feed store and ask them if you can get seed grain? It's the same. I don't want it, but if you do, just think. And you saw people that were preppers, and they couldn't think because they were in a panic, right? <laughs> they couldn't think. Like, they, you tell them that, and they, it wasn't like, hey, dumbass. Like, it would just be like, hey, did you even think of this? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I should have yeah. known that. And And – don't think that doesn't happen to me either. Like we always teach people, like if you want to train a skill, you need to train it under stress. If yeah. you think you have a skill, if you can do it with a with a with a flashlight in your mouth in the rain, shivering, then you have the skill. If you can only do it with the lights on in comfortable conditions, you don't have a skill. You know no. what to do, but the skill means that you've committed it to memory where it can be repeated under stress, and 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 that's you know. I guess we're going to, I got to, I got to wrap up, man. Are we going a whole nother hour? Just well, on on that? That, no, no, this has been a great hour and a half. I mean, like you said, we're going to continue these talks and everything, but you know, in closing for people that don't know, go ahead and tell us again, how to find you, uh, where we're going to be next week. And then, you know, we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah. Uh, my show is called the survival podcast.com. And I also do a, a second site called the Bitcoin breakout.com. So one day a week I do a show dedicated to Bitcoin or something related to Bitcoin. The rest of the show is more about the philosophical uh, type of things we talked about today. For instance, this afternoon, I have a gentleman on that's going to talk about prepping when you have a special needs child, or, you know, in this case, this sounds like 21 is a nonverbal autistic. So we cover everything like that. Best way to find everything Jack Spirico is, at the survivalpodcast.com or tspc.co. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube, follow me on Twitter. All my social media is available there. Uh, and I'd really appreciate if some of your folks come over and give us a try. You might, might like it. We've done 3,137 episodes as of today, 14 years running, two time podcast of the year award winner. And I even beat Adam, beat Adam Curry one year. Uh, for podcast wow. of the year in the general category back, I think it was like 2014. So uh, we must be doing something right, or we wouldn't have been able to do oh, this yeah. for this long. And I've dedicated my life to it. It's, uh, there's nothing I've done longer than the survival podcast other than be a husband and a father. Never held a job or ran a company for any longer than I've done this because I love it. Um, when I was a kid in high school, I wanted to go be a teacher. And all the teachers that I had, the good ones would say that they were broke all the time. And I thought that was a bad idea. And honestly, all I've done is figure out how to be a teacher and make a good living. That's, that's really that. what it all comes down to, man. It really does, Jack. And, you know, right now, you know, I can say, you know, about ranchers, the best thing they are, they're educators right now, especially yep. in the regenerative space. And right now, what you've done, the time you put in, the proof of work, I mean, you're educating, you know, you're educating everybody. And it's a full circle of education. Now it's going to shift into a value model that people have never seen before. So, Go do what you do. I'll see you next week in Fort Worth on the yeah, night. 
Yeah, and Pope Mahomes. And um, if you come by my site today, I'll make sure I include in my show notes for my show that will go out this afternoon a link to that meetup group. I can't off the oh. top of my head remember what day it is. I think it's the 7th or the 9th. It's one of those. It's the 9th. Nice, definitely okay. nice. Yeah. So go ahead and do that. I'll do the same. And uh, everybody out there appreciates you, Jack. Uh, once again, man, it's been a pleasure meeting you, sharing these times with you. Uh, we'll continue the conversation. Everybody else, do not forget about KNC Cattle. We're partners with them. Get your beef boxes at beefinitiative.com. Change your consumer demand and let's start creating a decentralized basically system of consumption models that we've never had a chance to have before. Jack, be good. Everybody else, stay safe, stay good. We'll talk to you soon. This is Texas Slim, Texas Slim's Vision. Here at the Beef Initiative, we encourage all you ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing.